welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to be active participants in your daughters' lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Really excited to have you back again this week. As you know, every week, I love sitting down with you and talking to you and helping you to be able to maneuver through this journey of fatherhood that you're on, this journey that you are on with your daughter, because every one of us has to find resources, has to be able to maneuver our own way through fatherhood. And there's many resources that are out there, many ways in which we can father. There's no one right way to father, but there are things that you can do to, that will help you to be able to be more engaged, more present, and definitely a better father for your own child. That's why every week I love sitting down with different guests to be able to get their perspectives and be able to have them share some of their own journey, but also some of the resources that they can offer you. And again, this week, we got another great guest with us. This week, Dr. Amanda Craig is with us. She's a family therapist and has a brand new book that is out called Who Are You? And What Have You Done With My Kid? Connect with your tween while they're still listening. Such an important topic. I have two teenagers, so I've gone through the tween years. Uh, so, But it is so important that you connect early with your child and build that relationship, not only as they're growing up, but as especially as they get into their tween years. So I'm excited to talk about that as well. Dr. Craig, thanks so much for being here today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure having you here. I am really excited to be able to delve deeper into this book to talk a little bit more about the book. First and foremost, though, I always love talking to people about their own journey. And as a woman, you had parents, you had a father yourself. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the journey that you went on with your own father that helped you become the person that you are today. Sure. So I'm a Gen X. And when you look at kind of what Gen X say growing up was like, we were the latchkey generation. So I definitely can resonate in that space of being unsupervised and out playing all day and not having a lot of rules and boundaries. And so definitely my dad was in that camp where we had a lot of freedom. And I think that that was good in kind of developing myself and my own opinions. He wasn't critical. He wasn't pushing us to do anything <laughs> for better or worse. But the better side of that was I really got to develop into myself. And when he did talk with us, it was meaningful. So I think some of the takeaways for sure from my dad, number one is he raised two girls, but he didn't treat us like fragile little girls. He exposed us to business. He exposed us to motorcycles. He exposed us to DIY. He exposed us to other men, his friends. And so we really were taught early to blur the lines of gender from what you're interested in. And don't be afraid to try woodworking or to to ride a motorcycle and not just be on the back of a motorcycle. And I really like that because I think it taught me grit. I think it taught me to persevere and not worry about what other people say, but more go with my intuition. And the other thing I'll say he pushed was education. And he didn't so much push grades and honors, which is fascinating now raising kids and seeing the honors and the AP classes. And we have a rising ninth grader and 
college is already on his radar and what he needs to do to prepare for those applications, which is mind blowing to me because my dad's philosophy was get educated, go as far as you want, but it doesn't matter what your grades are. It doesn't matter where you go. Just get your education and get into something you're passionate about and you enjoy. And that will open doors for you. And he was so right. I'll say I didn't go Ivy League. My grades weren't that great. And I've been so blessed with the career I've had that was really built on on education. So talk to me more about this career that you've built for yourself. You are a family therapist. And what made you decide that that was the career that you wanted to follow and the, the type of work that you wanted to do in your own career? So truth be told, my first experience, I grew up in Minnesota and in 1987, the twins won the World Series and they let us out of school early. And a friend and I went and shoplifted and got caught. (laughs) And Minnesota being pretty innovative state as far as mental health goes, actually put me in a diversion program where I had to go to so many sessions of counseling. And going into counseling and working with somebody who taught me about feelings and taught me, you know, it was okay to have them and gave me a space to talk out my thoughts and just get some validation that I made sense and I made sense in the world was I left there just knowing. And that was, I think, seventh grade, knowing I was going to be in in the clinical field. And I kind of went towards psychology, thinking I'd go into to be a psychologist. And I took my first marriage and family class in graduate school. And I was hooked. I knew that was the direction because none of us are going through life in a bubble all by ourselves. The community, the family, our friends, our lovers, all the people around us really impact who we are. And we are our best selves when we're in connection and we're in good relationships. And in contrast, when we have conflictual relationships or distant, neglectful relationships, we suffer emotionally and physically. I really appreciate you sharing that. Now, I mentioned that you have put forth this brand new book called Who Are You and What Have You Done With My Kid? So I'm an author as well. I've written a book. I know what it's like to be able to either write a book, edit a book, go through that passion and be able to put that blood, sweat and tears into putting something out there. So talk to me about why you chose to go down this path to put the time, the effort, the passion into putting this book out into the world. It's every bit of what you said. It's a big project. And we lost my sister in 1999. She was murdered. And of course, super painful, super poignant experience in my life. But what was fascinating about it, and for those who have gone through grief and loss, you know, it pops up at different times in life. You may have a few good years where you feel an acceptance and a peace with someone's death. And then other years, it just hits you really hard. And I started this book, it just poured out of me. And it was interesting. It was the 20th anniversary of her death that I started writing. And I talk a little bit about spirituality and Christianity in my book. And I definitely draw a lot of comfort and security from my Christian faith. And so what I would say is, It was absolutely a passion project and something kind of delivered through me and the words just poured out. And I often say I didn't write a book as much as I sent a message that I want for parents to feel supported and to feel seen 
but also give them some kind of tips and tools to use to really connect and offer that emotional connection to their kids so that their kids grow up to be well-adjusted, confident, resilient adults. So let's talk about that because tween years can definitely be challenging. And I mentioned at the beginning that you have to set the, the building blocks in place as your children are getting older and getting into those tween years. So why is it so important to not only build those early, but also maintain that strong connection with your tween as they move in and through puberty, adolescence, and beyond? So originally, when I started the book, I was thinking teens. And as I kind of sat in the research and thinking about the development, what really captured me were these tween years. And this is the nine to 12 year olds. And what's so fascinating about that developmental stage is they are still, as parents, we still have a seat at the table. I like to say. In other words, they still look to us for feedback and guidance. They're still open to conversation. They'll still hold our hand. My 13-year-old now, when I say, oh, we should go on a mommy, mommy-son date, he's like, no, there's no such thing, right? He's hit the teen years. That's a whole different animal. But this 9 to 12, they still have room for us in their lives and we still matter so much. And so that's a huge opportunity for parents to build security and trust that will transcend into the teen years when they are instinctually and appropriate for development, moving on and stretching their wings with friends and romantic relationships and and getting into the bigger world. So there's that piece, having a seat at the table still. But the other thing that's amazing around this 9 to 12 is it's a time in development where the brain is developing all of these new neural pathways. Think of like spring sprouting flowers. Well, that's going on in their brain. And with that change comes deeper and more complex feelings, more thoughts and opinions about themselves, the family, the world around them, and also more social awareness, which is a double-edged sword because as they get more socially aware of how others look, what others are doing, what other kids' grades are, There's a lot of insecurity that comes with that. And so all this change is going on in their thoughts, their feelings, their behaviors, and they've never really practiced it. It wasn't long ago that they were in parallel play of elementary school. And now all of a sudden they have all of this more complex life going on in their brain. So that's why you get sometimes some really mature comments or some really mature thinking or or you know, laying their, their clothes out one day and brushing their teeth voluntarily one morning. And then other times you still get the tantrums or the very immature or quite honestly, some offensive behavior. That's the brain trying to figure it all out. So let's talk about some of those behaviors, because I think that a lot of times parents start to get in their own head and they start to blame the child and kind of react in a I'm going to say sometimes a negative way when that behavior is counter to what they are hoping to see from their own child. And that sometimes can lead to arguments, yelling, other things that parents don't want, but it ends up happening. And that happens through the tween years, definitely can happen in the teen years. So talk to me about 
what you say to parents that can help them to be able to either take that pause or to walk away or to do something that can help them to be able to set aside that blame, that anger that can arise within themselves? So you really nailed it with one of our reactions to our kids when we're in discomfort is the yelling or the criticizing or the judging or the putting heavy boundaries, right? What I call bringing the hammer down. The other reaction parents will have is to remove themselves, to shut down, to withdraw, to not engage. And we often forget that one because it's so quiet, but actually that kind of neglectful reaction can be just as painful, if not more than some of that loud yelling. So I throw that out as one thing to keep in mind. But to go back to your question, and I talk about this in my book, and I call it soil issues. And it's something like this. It's like when you think about buying a house, you look at the house, and you look at the rooms, and you look at all the memories you're going to create, and you look at where it's located in a community, and you determine whether to buy it or not. What we forget to do is look at the soil in which our house is being built. Because when we have soil that hasn't been resolved, I've We've built several houses, and the first time that digger takes a bite of earth, you find out if you've got a water issue, if you've got sand under the dirt that's not going to hold the foundation, you see if there's ledge that you have to work around. There's a lot of things under our inside of us, right? Under the earth, inside of us that we don't always take into account. And if we're bypassing that, and those are our experiences from family of origin, those are experiences from K through 12 education, community traumas, and then other relationships we've had in early adulthood. But all of those things leave experiences in us that can be triggered in a hot second by our tween or teen. And at that point, when we are activated or dysregulated, right? And that behavior of anger and neglect is coming out. That's our crossroads where we're going to either remediate our soil and really heal the hurts that we have that are playing out, or we're going to ignore that and continue to shift that relationship and compromise the trust and the connection we have with our kids. Because we are no longer trustworthy if they don't feel safe or protected with us. One question that I would have when you talk about building safety and trust, for some fathers and other parents, they may say to themselves, I don't know if I've built that as they've grown up, or maybe I've made some missteps along the way. As you're moving into those tween years, if you feel like you've made those missteps and that you still need to build some of that trust, what are some of the first steps that they should be taking to be able to do just that? So let me talk about the four pillars in my book, and I'll really focus on dads. Because again, I think often dads work hard. They're not always sure where they fit in the family. Or sometimes they have a really high functioning wife that is taking care of everything and doesn't invite them in easily. She's got a well-oiled machine going. And so to find a place for him isn't always easy for her. So I hear those two ideas a lot in my office. And so dads don't always know, like, how do I connect? How do I get in there? What is my role? What am I supposed to be doing? And so... I'll kind of focus on the dad piece because I feel for them. I think a lot of dads want to be involved and to offer their kids a lot. And sometimes it's just missed. So here we go. Number one. Number one is this concept of I see you. And what this means is 
basic, super basic. This is so basic. People check this off and go, okay, what's the next one? Make time, slow down to just hang out, right? When we hang with our kids is when they open up and when they feel connected to us, when they feel like they matter. So number one is just making time. When do you connect with your kids? Is it Saturday morning, you go on a drive to Starbucks? Is it you come home from work and you do math together? When are those times you just have, do you go sit in their room? And just hang out in there and they're on, you know, their thing and you're on your thing and you're kind of talking along the way. Where is that space? Number two is I want to know you. This gets into that deeper emotional place. Emotions are part of humanity. That's really what makes us tick. And when dads understand their own emotions and how they express them, they're going to exhibit a healthy model to their kids. They're also going to invite their kids to be more versed in their ability to express emotion. So if a son sees his dad expressing, oh, I'm so exhausted. I don't know that I can do math today. Could we do five minutes? Versus how come you can't do this math on your own already? Or don't you have a teacher you can ask? You see how different those sentences land for a kid, number one. And number two, that dad also said, it's okay to be tired. It's okay to be at like out of gas for the day. And when he models that for his son, he's modeling that for that son how to have emotional depth. Okay, so that's one and two. Three is I am here for you. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying about my dad that I really appreciated is bring them in to our world. I can't tell you how many kids. So we're outside of New York City. A lot of the dads go into New York and moms, but I'm kind of bell curve and focusing on dads, go into New York City and work. And the kids really have no idea what goes on in New York City, besides that my dad works in finance. Bring them into your world. Spend time with them doing things that you enjoy, that bring play, that bring laughter. The best thing we can do is have fun, right? We kind of think in terms of fun ends at five, and then we go to school and like we got to get after it and get ready for college. And the reality is when our brain feels fun and play, it actually feels connection and trust and closeness and security. So whether that's playing ball, whether it's doing a project together and teaching patiently, but all those are ways that dads can kind of connect or lean into their relationship with their kids. And then the fourth one is I will keep you safe. And this is the one that opens up space for boundaries and to communicate why those boundaries are important and to follow through with holding that boundary. Because when we show our kids what it's like to have a boundary or a limit and they pass it, they feel regret or guilt or sad or disappointed. Whereas if they don't ever have that boundary, uh, they don't know what it's like to go beyond what's appropriate, if you will, or what a good boundary is. And so oftentimes we have good cop, bad cops, or if one parent is working full time, the other one takes on kind of that heavy lift. And this isn't about criticizing, blaming, shaming. This is about both parents taking time to say, this is the boundary. This is why it's important to me. This is why I set this for you. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you like about that and don't like about it. Does it make sense to you? Again, having that conversation, right? It's a dialogue where we sit and we wonder, 
wander together. That allows kids the opportunity to have a voice, practice it, but then also have a dad say, you make a ton of sense. You're going to matter in the world and you matter to me. And every day we have the opportunity to do this. So parents, all I do some family groups and I get feedback from the book and parents say, well, I didn't do that. Oh, I haven't done any of that. And they go into this like shame space. And it's like, it's not about that. You only have to get it right about 30% of the time, right? So we expect as parents to get it wrong more often than not. But when you go back to these pillars of, okay, today I want to do it different. Today I'm really going to focus. It's Saturday. I'm going to sit and make some time for my son. And I also want to do this project with him. We always have, until we don't, We always have tomorrow to keep practicing. So those are those four pillars. What do you think? I love them. I think that they're actionable and definitely things that you can do to step one step at a time with your child and be able to start building those building blocks within those years to be able to prepare them for the teenage years. One question that I have is, is that transition between tween and teen. And sometimes it's a stark difference and sometimes not. It's sometimes it's a gradual difference. Talk to me about the changes that you have seen in the families that you're working with in regards to that transition between tween and teen and what you're really trying to help your tween to do in that transition to help them be successful through their teenage years. So let's start with the brain. Going back to that, I talked about the spring sprout. Well, in the teen years, the brain goes through a fall cleanup. In other words, it prunes back all of the thoughts, feelings, etc. that the tween, the child, has not been using. So the teen years were using a lot of muscle and good habits and, and good practices and learning emotional awareness so that when the brain prunes back what it's not using, those things are left. And then later there's a process of myelination where the brain puts a slippery slide on those so we can access those good habits and behaviors that we've been practicing very quickly and efficiently, which is why for parents, it's so easy to go to some of those withdrawn or escalated behaviors because those are behaviors and thoughts that have been practiced from family of origin all the way up. And so they're easy to access. They're... I often have parents say, automatically go to this place. I know the right answer, but I still go there. That's the brain stuff. So I set that up to say there's such a neuroscience explanation for what we're seeing. And so to your point, which is right, some kids hit puberty right away. And by 12, you're seeing some of that. Some kids, it's like 14, 15. So there is this kind of flexibility of when it happens. So two things with parents, when we continue to invite them in and have conversation and see them, they develop confidence, they practice using their voice. That's one of the things we're taking away from kids is we're doing so much for them that we're not giving them the opportunity to think through it. I always say the question, the comment shouldn't be, you got to see on that test. The question should be, How do you feel about that C you got? 
So I'm talking a lot about the parents piece, but I think your question is like, so for adolescents, it's like giving them space, whether it's in my therapy room or, or at home with their parents, giving them space to think through their ideas, to think through what matters to them, to practice what they're doing is engaging their prefrontal cortex, which is so underdeveloped. They're practicing decision-making and analytical thinking and, and having opinions. And that's absolutely something we want to encourage our teens because as they get older, their brain is pruning and they are now having more wisdom in the world. I said a tween, they haven't really done much. But by 15, you've had a girl you like that didn't like you back, or you had a mean girl situation on the playground. Like you have a little more wisdom to draw from. So one thing, we want them to talk that out. The second thing for teenagers is this emotional awareness. It's kind of three things, right? Awareness, being aware of our emotion, knowing what to call it, having ways of consciously expressing them and regulating them. And again, parents model this for kids. So there's the relational piece. And then for kids, teaching them how to name a feeling and then like, how do they cope with it? So when we look back historically, boys and men have been kind of required to be providers, to be protectors, to go to war. And that's been going on for decades. What society hasn't encouraged in boys and men is to have vulnerabilities, to get into their emotions, to share those emotions. And so we really left men at a disadvantage because now we're requiring that in the family, but they haven't seen a lot of models for that, nor have they been given a lot of tools for how to do that. And so that's something I think a lot of dads are learning. How do I express myself? How is it not weak, but vulnerable? And vulnerable is a good thing. And then how do I teach my boys and our girls? Girls just get more of that from moms and from societal approval, if you will, to have feelings. But how do we name all that as normal and acceptable and and kind of play in that emotional space. And so I'm getting long-winded for your question and tell me if I'm answering it. No, you've perfectly answered it. I think that this has helped and definitely something that, well, I I know has made me think about things in a little bit different way. I wish I had thought about it earlier when my daughters were earlier in their own tween years and into their teenage years. Not that we didn't do it right, but you can always go back and say, well, if I had done something just a little bit different, something might have changed. People always say that. Like, I hear that all the time, which is funny because I never, for whatever reason, I never thought of that as being the feedback. I don't know why. Like you saying it and hearing it all the time, it's obvious, right? We see where we didn't do it right, so to say. But I want people to think about there are so many times I do it right. And I want to do more of that. Like that day I nailed it. That day when we had that chuckle, I said something the other day in public. I said something that I thought was funny and the group didn't quite get it. And I look over at my son, who's kind of a mini me and like him and I have the same humor structure. And he looked at me and he nodded. He totally got where I was coming from. And like in that moment, we just like vibed. And I love that moment. And I want to remember that moment. And I want to make more of those moments because certainly there are the moments I lose my temper with him and he's turned off by me and shuts down and but I want to focus on like where's the fruit of our labor my daughter who's six so she'll be coming up on these years you know my son I had a son first you could wrestle with them and kind of you know, hug them and bear hug them. And she doesn't like all that. She likes more of the lady look where I can stand very close to her. I can hug her more gently, but I had to learn the difference in what resonates in her. 
And so I always encourage, and for your audience, dads, parents, to really watch what's working, watch where you felt connection, you will feel it. It's a neurological experience to connect. And when you feel it, that's what you want to do more of. Because that's where you're building that trust that'll last the test of time. Well, Dr. Craig, I just want to say thank you for everything that you've shared today, for putting this book out into the world as well. If people want to find out more about you or about the book, where's the best place for them to go? So I have an Instagram, which is Amanda Craig PhD. We put tips and so forth on there and you'll get to see my daughter and son. And then I also have a website that's amandacraigphd.com and I have some blogs and other information there. The book is on Amazon. It's definitely in local libraries as well, but Amazon's a quick place. And there's an audio version for people who rather listen. Well, again, I really appreciate your time today and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for having me. I love what you're doing here. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be